your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready. For your positive imprint. There are so many positive imprints right now in Australia who are helping to save lives, both human and animal, homes and property. Positive karma being sent your way. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint. This is a free podcast, but please support me with feedback, positive reviews, and by hitting those five stars. Today's guest is a doctor of pharmacy. Her positive imprints are the actions she is taking in bringing awareness to inappropriate prescribing of transdermal fentanyl. This is an extremely potent narcotic patch. Listen how she is saving lives. Dr. Rebecca Van Vleck DeMoss, thank you so much for joining me. Well, hi. Good morning. Thank you for having me. This is just such a great, great day. It is. I own we're ending up sitting in a car yes. <laughs> for this because the uh, little cafe we were in had music playing. and It is much more fun, though, just being you and me just talking oh, about that's positive great. things. <laughs> well, and you have a definite positive imprint. You have had this, oh my gosh, you just have whatever force inside of you to bring awareness to health care providers mm-hmm. with regard to this narcotic patch. Yeah. But first... Tell me, tell the listeners, what got you into wanting to be in the pharmacy world? Well, my mother was actually a pharmacist, and she graduated from KU, Kansas University. And I think when we started through high school and kind of talking about future careers, I ended up with pharmacy because it was the perfect blend of science, human anatomy, and helping people. So as I started my prerequisites, it just was that that really great fit of not having so much responsibility of a physician, not having to deal with blood and you know, <laughs> surgeries or whatever the case may be, but still having that amazing aspect of science and at the end helping people. So that was what really drove you was not just having a career and making money and having, you know, making a living, but you really wanted to be in some career where you were helping people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From the get-go. Yeah. And I was great. really fortunate from knowing that right out of high school. So this is why I'm so young as a pharmacist. I graduated when I was 28 uh-huh. as a pharmacist. And you're a doctor of pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, obviously, the schooling was quite a bit. And your mom, obviously, was a fabulous positive imprint yes. on you. Well, what's interesting is she actually did not practice pharmacy for much, for long. It was, it was about a year and then she ended up not enjoying it. And then she went to be a lawyer, and now she's a judge for the Social Security Administration. So oh not, only, <laughs> not only has she done an amazing positive imprint for me, but she's also this amazing woman to, to model of that, that you can really do anything you put your mind to. Oh, that, that's great. And so yeah. look at you. And so what does it take to go through pharmacy school? Yeah, so it is between a six- and an eight-year program. Most individuals now are starting to get their undergraduate degree. So I actually have a bachelor's of science in biology before I even entered into the doctorate program of pharmacy school. So pharmacy school then is another four years after your undergrad. But the prerequisites are about two years. So if you want to do the bare minimum of the prerequisites and then apply, you have to do what's called the PCAT, which is an entrance exam for the pharmacy school. Pass the PCAT and then apply. 
Okay, so there's a process, mm-hmm. and so the schooling could be four years plus the two years. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be a doctor of pharmacy, then of course you're taking an additional four. Okay, so that that's plenty of schooling, and that brings you to where you are today. And I know that you, because of your experience and your true, warm, caring heart, you do programs around New Mexico and around the country. You are a speaker. Yeah. And you do seminars. Yeah. And and I think you said some, I think in our conversation, you mentioned that you also teach pharmacy classes. Yeah. Where do you teach those? So I'm actually teaching at the UNM College of Pharmacy. That's the University of New Mexico. Yeah, at the University of New Mexico. And uh, it's one of their first year pharmacy courses. It's a communications course. And one of the professors, we just have hit it off ever since during school and graduation and I've been five years postgraduate, and this, for some reason, there was something inside of me that spoke to me to start giving back. So this year has been really about volunteerism, really about working with the college, and also these presentations regarding the transdermal fentanyl. And so it's just been this amazing whirlwind of fun with the college, with the students, with all these organizations that I'm now a part of. But the communications course, it's just been an amazing experience. And I'm, I'm learning stuff from, <laughs> well, that, from this what, course. That's what makes it so much fun is yes. when you aren't doing everything. You're actually, oh, this is fun. Yes. It's stimulating me as yes. well. <laughs> and that's what I was actually telling them because I teach every Thursday morning with them. And I actually told them, like, this course I am learning something, and I'm that pharmacy nerd. Well, I go back to my coworkers, and I say, guess what I learned in class today, guys? <laughs> and the professor that I've been working with, her name is Dr. Krista Dominguez-Salazar, and she actually taught me. So it's this amazing full circle. Of positive of, imprints. <laughs> of positive imprint and the family of the College of Pharmacy. We've created this environment where you can always come back, that it's an always an open door and whatever life pulls you and, and directs you, there's, there's always something you can do to lead a positive imprint. And how long have you been practicing? So it's been five years. I graduated in 2014. So then that brings us to, first, first let's learn what this transdermal fentanyl patch yeah, is. Yeah. Because this is what your blog was about. Yeah. And that's how I found you. And it wasn't me, actually. It was actually a very caring person out there in the world who emailed me and said, you have got to meet this person. She has just an amazing positive imprint. Which is my husband. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, was there another person? <laughs> so yes, my, my loving husband. So the, the, tr- the fentanyl transdermal patch, it's under the brand name Duragesic. Sometimes more individuals know medications by the brand name. So the brand name is Duragesic and the generic is fentanyl. And this is an extremely potent narcotic patch. And this, the, the problem that I recognized is the year of 2017 to 2018, my pharmacy, Pharmerica Pharmacy, we detected about 18 inappropriate prescriptions that would have ended in a patient's death. Really? Yes. Now, how could you foresee that? So there is an amazing tool that we have access to that healthcare providers, doctors, pharmacists, is called the Prescription Monitoring Drug Program. And so what that and allows us... is that us, government? Is that... What is... Where um, does that come from? 
Yes and no. It is governed by the New Mexico Board of Pharmacy. Okay. Do is this? Do other? Yes. Okay. So, so this is, is a nationwide push for helping misuse and abuse of medications, specifically you know narcotics goes, and benzodiazepines. Okay. And do you know if it goes across the borders? So, like, does Canada have something like this? That is Europe? a good question, and I'm I'm, just curious, I'm not there's sure. A lot of listeners. Yeah, and I'm not sure if they've, but it would be a great program for them. To to adopt because in my personal life it has saved so many lives okay so, so now, if it's right. if it's not there somebody can implement yes, that yes exactly all right so now go back and start explaining that because i i did yeah get that in so the the prescription drug monitoring program allows for healthcare providers to look at a particular patient and you can see their history of narcotic medications and benzodiazepines which are like diazepam ativan xanax so what we've found is grouping those medications together potentially causes addiction and can potentially cause overdoses. So looking at the patient's history, we can identify the use or potentially misuse of their prescriptions. But what I've been using it for is to detect if they are a candidate for this extremely potent narcotic medication. They have got to meet certain criteria of past history to even start therapy. And what we're finding is they don't meet that criteria. That's why it's so dangerous and it will cause an overdose and a death. So using this system, we can see the patient's fill history and be like, they're not, they're not a candidate. They, they will overdose. Okay. Yeah. And is the patch meant to wean somebody off of narcotics so or is it meant to medicate? It's actually meant to medicate those that have experienced long-term pain, chronic, so chronic pain. pain. Okay. And so they have to have gone through a series of different medications such as morphine or oxymorphone or hydromorphone, which are the top narcotics that are used. They have to have been through and use those medications before they can even start this medication. And why is that? Is it the the body recognizes? So it's about tolerance. It's called opiate tolerance versus opiate naivety. So opiate tolerance is when they've been on some sort of narcotic for at least one week or longer to show that our body can absorb the narcotic or the opiate and then not overdose. And so if you think about it, fentanyl is about 75 to 100 times more potent than morphine. Wow. So if they've never been on any of those morphine, oxycodone, oxymorphone, and they go straight to that fentanyl patch, they will overdose. Okay. So what did you do when you started seeing this and doing your background research on these patients. It was a push through all of the pharmacists because I work with four pharmacists at any given time. And what we started doing is running that prescription drug monitoring program every time we have a patient, a new start patient on fentanyl. So fortunately, here in Albuquerque, the retail pharmacies have this prescription drug monitoring program embedded in their order entry system. So anytime they're running a prescription, it'll come up with their fill history. But since I work in what's called long-term care pharmacy, we're exempt from running that. 
So it's something that we don't even see unless we personally run the report. Oh, so you had to do extra work. Yes. Which is truly saving lives with the knowledge that you had of this drug. Now, did the pharmaceutical company teach you this? I mean, how did you know this or was it? Well, it was actually one of my coworkers who, um, I I don't, I don't remember why she ran it. I, cause we can look at the fill history. So we know a little bit about the potency and And how how do you, you know, because these drugs, there's new drugs coming up on the market Mm -hmm. all of the time. Do you do research on all of the drugs? Mm -hmm. Oh, you do. So it was something, was there something in fine print that the pharmaceutical company wrote or is it just the fact that your background knowledge yeah. told you that the dosage okay is background law so duragesic has been on the market since the 90s okay so most pharmacists coming out of school know that it is extremely potent and needs to only be used for people who have chronic pain okay and are opiate tolerant so that's like bare minimum knowledge how you use it and how you implement that knowledge is up to the individual pharmacist so considering that we know that as we're reviewing a patient profile, some red flags go off from time to time. And then it kind of gets us to, I call it the pharma sense. Instead of spidey sense, it's your pharma sense. <laughs> Something is not right. And I need to do, I need to stop and do a little bit more. And so it was actually my coworker who started seeing these. And then as we all started to talk about it, then together as a team, we started doing more and more. And then I created a protocol for our pharmacy with information on the criteria to start the transdermal patch, you know, different aspects of how to speak to the physician or what we can change it to or convert it to. So this is what started the campaign for educating regarding appropriate prescribing of the transdermal fentanyl. And so the doctors, do they have access to that they do. They, they do. have access to the pharmaceuticals yes. that a patient is using. Mm-hmm. What did you do? What was your step? You called the mm-hmm. physicians? Mm-hmm. And how did these physicians react? Well, most of them are grateful. But the, the one patient that stands out in my mind was from an emergency room physician. And <clears throat> we really fought back and forth. And this one was, it shook me to my core. Because if we would have dispensed it, I know this patient would have died. And so trying to get that across to this emergency room physician, and he continued to fight with me that this patient was in fact a candidate, when in fact he was not. So I was able to utilize the patient's care system. He was in an assisted living facility to further facilitate the discussion with this emergency room physician to get it changed. But I kind of feel that physicians only get maybe a semester or two of pharmacology. We get four years. So putting that into perspective is we as pharmacists are trying to give knowledge that we have to any healthcare provider because at the end of the day, we're a team. And I think that that's a wonderful way to look at it because collaborating with every entity that can make a stronger healthcare system, to me, would be imperative for anybody's health, betterment of their health. So considering we saw so many last year, this is what brought me to creating this educational presentation that I've been giving, creating my blog, coming to you as the podcast, 
to really spread this vital information regarding this extremely potent narcotic patch because I feel that there's missing information. I'm not sure if it's just glossed over in their different modalities, but this is something that I'm seeing in my practice to reinforce the education that they might have forgotten, might not have known, and trying to educate. Pharmacists are now becoming one of the most accessible healthcare providers. And that's great. But on the flip side, I feel that the other healthcare modalities, nurses, physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, they are overworked. Just oh, I agree. overworked. But this is where that team approach comes in. Is that when they're prescribing, they need to know their deficits and knowledge and be able to work with someone that might know a little bit more. Call the pharmacy and take that extra time. And so I, I, I know it's not these healthcare providers' fault. I think it's a system breakdown. But that's when we all come together as a team to make sure we're taking care of our patients. And so that's where the collaboration and the yes. discussions and what you're doing, bringing the knowledge and the information to yes. the healthcare system yes. through your your seminars, through yes. your blog. And what's interesting is I, I had a wild, wild hair to do a little bit more investigation. So that was 2017 to 2018. This past year, 2018 to 2019, we've only detected six. Oh, that's great. Right? So I'm not sure if it's, you know, it's, it's happenstance. But I know that what we've tried to do with my coworkers and with what I'm doing is that education part. So whenever we detect an inappropriate, we try and take that time to go over why it was inappropriate and to get it changed. So that the doctor doesn't feel that it was to... Well, and we're hoping that they remember that. And so the next time that they feel that it is appropriate... They, they take a moment and pause and think about, is this patient a candidate? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And now, here's something, a question that maybe a doctor might have, is I had this great conversation, recorded conversation on my podcast. Her name is Christy Sobel, and she's known as the prize fighter. She was in a horrific car accident that left her spinal cord crushed, and she had surgery. I mean, long story short chronic pain Mm -hmm. and she did not want to be on narcotics Mm -hmm. because it didn't you know the feeling of it but she also understands because she was on narcotics and she's doing a lot of lobbying now in our country in the United States with regard to opioids but she says and these are strong words powerful and true she said if we're going to remove something we have to replace it with Mm -hmm. something So that might be what a patient will ask, well, I really needed the patch because Mm -hmm. I have this chronic pain. Mm -hmm. Or a doctor might say, well, Mm -hmm. what can we replace it with? So how do you work through that? That's a very loaded question because because it is very patient-specific. Okay. And and what I would would personally approach that situation with is look at the patient's history. What type of pain are they experiencing? What are they they willing to try? Because there's so many different approaches to chronic pain. And I know that's a huge discussion in many different healthcare areas right now of of using other types of medications such as antidepressants. There's um, anti-epileptic medications that are being used to treat chronic pain. So there's a lot that could be discussed. So that would be on a patient-to-patient basis. Does it answer your question? That does. That does. I'm one, oh my gosh, narcotics, I can't, I, yeah. I can't do 
narcotics. I had my tonsils removed <laughs> when I was an adult in 2005. It was the best thing I ever did because I was, anyway, but I was put on, and I cannot remember the name of it, but it was a, it was an opioid. And, oh my gosh, I couldn't stop throwing up. Yeah. And I was so nauseated. And then at night, one night, it just took one night, I woke up and I could not breathe. Yeah. And my husband got the medical book out and he said, well, maybe that's, what is that called? Sleep apnea. I said, uh -huh. I didn't feel like sleep apnea. I mean, I literally couldn't yeah. breathe. So then I called my dad, you know, it's the middle of the night, dad, yeah. I woke up, I couldn't breathe. And my dad said, honey, you are on a narcotic. Yeah. I think it suppressed your respiratory system. Call your doctor and talk to him tomorrow. So I yeah. did, and the doctor said, okay, no more narcotics. Yeah. So, Well, what's interesting that you yeah. say you experience those, those side effects. I, in, in the presentation I give, it's interesting. I, I believe it was a Pharmacy Times article. About 30 to 50% of patients who receive an opioid medication will experience nausea, dizziness, and, but it actually resolves in about five to ten days. No, I wasn't going to wait that long. Which I do not blame you. But that is <laughs> that is the epitome of the side effects, unfortunately, of that class of medication. Oh, it was awful. So I went to a plain ordinary, what is Advil? What is the medicine? Ibuprofen. Thank you. So I went to a plain ordinary ibuprofen, mm -hmm. and that took care of it. I mean, that was enough for me to take care well, of the pain and, because I just... And that's another good point about pain is to really understand the levels of pain. And I think that there's a, unfortunately, I believe it was two years ago that pain became the fifth vital sign, which was good because... What we, do you mean? So there, so within a hospital, when a patient is hospitalized or in the clinic, we take these vital signs, blood pressure, temperature, look at their eyes... Um, and it's, it's different. It's a, it is an approach to overall health. Okay. So when we added pain as an additional vital sign, I think that's what pushed us further into this opiate epidemic. Oh, and okay. so when we're questioning about pain, sometimes there's individuals who expect to be pain free. And so when you're looking at being pain free on an opiate regimen, you're going to push yourself to overdose. So identifying that it's okay to be at a level one, it's okay to be at a level two, that you might not get pain-free, that needs to be part of the discussion. Or on the flip side, can your pain be managed with Tylenol or ibuprofen before we even touch into an opiate regimen? And what's interesting, I think it was about three years ago, they looked at long-term care facilities. So like skilled nursing facilities or rehab facilities. And if a patient was on an opioid regimen for longer than a week, they were on that same opioid regimen for a year. Mm, and some even longer. And some even longer. Yeah. And I feel for people who live with chronic pain. Yes. How, how does an opioid work with regard to pain? Because I've been told things, you know, I have friends that are on opioids and other friends who won't take opioids because they say it really doesn't manage pain. So tell me the, the physicality yeah. of how it works. So most opioids hit a receptor called the mu or kappa or delta receptor. And that's what blocks the pain signals. Okay. But when you're getting into blocking these receptors, that's how you also get 
the side effects. So you have opiate receptors within your GI tract. That's what causes the terrible constipation. We also have opiate receptors in our lungs. That's what causes the respiratory depression. <laughs> so it, it's me. Definitely. And so that's, so you had mentioned that potentially opiates are not the best answer for a type of pain, which is true. So like ibuprofen, for example, works on the inflammatory mediators. So if you're having an inflammation, it's best to use something like that. So it'll just depend on the type of pain. But usually the opiates are used because they are so good at removing the pain if you're in an acute or chronic pain situation. Now I understand why the ibuprofen worked because it wasn't so much... I was in, it was the inflammation yeah. and the fever. I yeah. had a fever. And opioids aren't going to take care of the fever. No. But the ibuprofen took care of Correct. the fever. And once the fever was gone, I was fine. I, and I was, yeah. yeah. So I know there's a huge push with trying to use other medications first mm-hmm. before an opiate is even considered. And so what are your next steps here in your in what you're doing well i hope to continue to give the fentanyl presentation so i've given that presentation to the new mexico pharmacist association and to the new mexico health systems pharmacist association and then i wrote the the blog for tldr pharmacy simplified and then so the next few steps i have is i'm going to be working with the new mexico medical society so hopefully that'll get to more physicians and then i also reached out to a society called the Institute of Safe Medication Practices. So it's simplified to ISMP. And the ISMP puts out notifications and alerts and does this amazing job of helping disseminate vital information of errors that are occurring. You've had mm-hmm. thousands of visitors on that blog. Yeah. Some of them are probably worldwide. Yeah. And then the the extra, the other additional is there's a continuing education website called freece.com. So free, the, say that one more time. freece.com. Or it used to be under PharmCon, which was their their title. I'm going to be an adjunct faculty for them airing in January as another CE for pharmacists and healthcare providers. Oh, fabulous. You have a lot going on in just in providing that yeah. Not just the information on, on pharmaceuticals, yeah. but also just helping patients and the healthcare system to understand the medicines. Yeah, yeah. That's that's wonderful. I really I really enjoyed listening to you and it's something that obviously I was affected by when I had And we could we could probably talk about it all day because it is <laughs> it has definitely become one of my passions and Well and there's an epidemic worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that the situation with the patient that I experienced, it struck me to my core that, that that life was in my hands. That moment has changed my perspective forever. This is why I do what I do. And this is what gives me this passion, is because we are so focused on the didactic information of pharmacy or healthcare. But what we all need to do as healthcare providers or as people in general is to take that step back and to realize that we have lives and we touch lives every day. Dr. Rebecca Von Fleck-DeMoss, thank you so much for your positive imprints and 
for joining me here, sitting in the car, and for sharing your fabulous story. I so much appreciate you. No, I appreciate you and what you do. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about this subject, contact Dr. DeMoss, and contact information may be found on my website or Google what every pharmacist should know about transdermal fentanyl to get to her blog. Thank you so much for all of your emails. I have received comments from listeners regarding last week's guest, Larry Grummer-Strawn with the World Health Organization. One comment from a listener in the United States says, I think Larry Grummer-Strawn is an unsung hero. Also, WHO, World Health Organization, is never in the news and yet has stellar accomplishments. And from Czech Republic, Larry, you are a positive imprint and you inspire me to work harder. Thanks, Katrina, for all your episodes. Well, to all of my listeners, my mission is to bring the world of positive imprints to you and also inspire you to find your own positive imprints. Music by Chris Knoll, who is also another fabulous positive imprint. Listen to more of his music on Spotify or head to his website, chrisknoll.com, C-H-R-I-S. N-O-L-E. I appreciate all of you for listening and supporting my variety show podcast. Sign up for those podcast updates from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can also listen to episodes or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Next week's guest is Pat Helmers, who feels his greatest PI is being a good dad. Download, subscribe, or follow Your Positive Imprint now. What's your PI?